I guess DMX is a good one to do that on because most of his music, he shared his burden, his pain, mm. his, I mean, his joys as well, of course. Yeah. But he laid it all out. Like, if you've heard Slipping, you know oh, yeah. what was going on. And you know that he wasn't, again, whatever your perception might be, he was a very smart child. Yeah. But circumstance uh the perhaps the neglect the that feeling of his father walking out yeah you know so when you hear some people say maybe there's a divorce or a breakup you don't know how that's going to affect the the next person and we talked about parenting as well like yeah you don't know how when your child does well in school or do, or doesn't you don't know how your comments will make them react. You might have had a bad day at work. You might have been fired. And your child walks in and says, I don't know, maybe they're in second grade or something. Oh, I got a star on this. And you're just not in the mood that day because there are no perfect people, you know? And that has to be accepted. Just like we <laughs> like we spoke about Noel Clark. Like, there yeah. are no perfect people. People do good, people do bad. We're capable of both extremes and ultimately we don't know how what we're doing is going to affect other people and we don't always know the breadcrumbs for ourselves that's why yes. sometimes it's very helpful to engage with a mental health specialist of some sort 100%. they just they've followed the breadcrumbs before they know what they're looking for you might just yes. see that and be like nah, i don't know we'll probably end just here there's no point following this it's not going to lead anywhere someone's exactly. probably eating a sandwich and just drop bits Exactly. Why am I feeling bird comes anyway? Yeah, yeah. Well, my bird. There's <laughs> some bird. <laughs> it's for the birds. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, in fact, I was going to like. So when I was grappling with, should we go towards this? Is it genetic? And I was oh, going yeah. to lead into mm. what are some of the causes and triggers of addiction. But I felt like you know, over a thousand, thousands of patients, you know, and how do you distill that? Like it would have been, it's, you'd need an hour just to distill <laughs> that from what you'd, you've, you'd have heard such a variety of yeah. causes and triggers and how they're all connected probably to all these things. Uh, oh, yeah. I thought it might be unfair for you or there oh, no, might no, be some just... really juicy ones and people yes. know who they are. <laughs> exactly, that's the... That's the... <laughs> And that's the thing as well, when you treat people in the black community, as I'm, as I'm slowly beginning, the like, black community is very small. <laughs> so, you know, obviously, when it, so as a black clinician, I've discovered that I, I meet people who are maybe friends who are friends. So I have to be careful if I meet someone, they can't actually be in my close friend circle in a, per se, you know, because I always have to tell them the band, so I have to be, I can't be your friend and your doctor, I have to be one, you know. So our circles are very small. That's, that's, that's one aside. But going back to the, but so the addictions thing, I see it's so rife. And then we're all connected and you can see, oh, this, oh. And when this person comes to you, like, wow, because people tell that psychiatrist things, they wouldn't tell that priest or their wives, you know? So, you know, and it's interesting because you get all this information and you're like, it's probably like Gossip Girl, but then you have to try and distill it and make it functional. Not just here taking notes like, wow, you mess. It's going to be my memoirs, man. I'm going to write a book about this. You know, it's not like that funny. As I, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't think the Sherlock Holmes aspect, but going back to the addictions thing, like, what are the causes? I think it's good to talk about them. There are many. So I always hit on the main ones. There is a definitely a genetic uh, disposition to it, you know. Everyone's always like, is it nature or nurture? The answer is always both, you know. And I always tell people, when we're trying to get on the percentages and being analytical, usually if someone's getting that pedantic, then they're, they're avoiding the real truth about it, you know. Because someone might come tell me like, oh, I don't know where this addiction came from. I 
following my mom, my mom was a big drinker. I, I had a good, perfect life. If people tell me that a perfect life already, that's like red flags in my mind. If they tell me, oh, it's just probably 100% genetic. I'm like, how do you know? We haven't even done the assessment. Why, what are you hiding already before we start? You know, so it's uh, it's always both. Um, but the, the loading percentage-wise, who knows? And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. But it's good to be aware of what they are. So it's true. If your parents are big drinkers, it does actually change your receptors and on a genetic level. It actually does imprint onwards to your kids, you know? Everything genetic imprints on. So they're doing lots of things about um, reactions to trauma. You're made, you're made of two halves. Exactly, you know? And you don't know what percentage you're going to get in a genetic mix. But if you definitely got two parents who are big on alcohol, one thing you're going to develop in a child, especially if the parents are mom and wife is still drinking during that stage of, you know, having pregnancy, is that the kids' receptors, when they're being made, they'll be very sensitive to alcohol. So what it says is like you're developing a kid who's like the sense to alcohol is like, oh, I'm ready. These receptors are alcohol primed. Well, the average kid shouldn't have, a, have that experience. It's just growing up like, man, this is this fluid, man, whatever, healthy stuff. Uh, so when you get older, what you notice in kids, the younger you are when you get into any drug alcohol, the more dangerous it is. So one of the best ways for you to avoid getting a substance, drug and alcohol problem is to enter the drug and alcohol scene as late as possible. So the earlier you start drinking, it increases your chance of developing a drinking problem. So if you just start drinking at 13, 14, in the UK it's very common, I mean, UK people, because drinking is a bit more, um, well, I'll say part of the culture, but you know, people are like, why well, you drink at 13, 14, sneak into clubs? And we sort of normalize it and joke about it, but that's a very young age to get your receptors into alcohol when really it's time to develop its thinking, your brain is still developing. And if you get your brain wired into cannabis or alcohol, it's very sensitive. At a young age, the receptors are developing, so they develop a taste for it to a point that if you fast forward um, 10 years from teenager and you've been a drinker, your receptors are quite different from someone who's never touched alcohol during that time and touches alcohol later. Because at that stage, when you're, the older you are, the less likely you're able to change on a neurological level because your receptors and everything's already built up. Your brain's the right size is going to be. Your neurons are very developed fully. But if you add an alcohol in the mix, it's always it's like it's bringing in like a bit of spice into your nervous system, but alcohol spice. So your body will always be sensitive to that. And it also does affect the way you develop in terms of things like your frontal frontal lobe, so your decision-making capacity. So people start drinking earlier. If you do cognitive tests, they're always more impulsive, you know, always getting into trouble. So we normalize it in the behaviors, but on a neurological level, it's actually affecting the way they process information and the way they're able to um, withhold gratification. They just want to go straight to alcohol. I need to have it. I need, there's no full stop that the rest of us have because our mm. brain frontal lobe has developed, right? So that's one aspect. That's just today. I could go even longer. That there's so many things about neuro. My neuropsych buddies, even whinging now if they could hear me, is like Xavier, you did injustice. You didn't do it the right. But I'm like, sorry guys, it's too big a topic. The more natural things that are um, everyone can relate to a bit more is your environmental factors. So abuse and trauma, and that's the thing which we don't talk about a lot. Because what is trauma? If I had to ask you, what is trauma? Just layman's term. Don't get too technical. I ask you, shy. What is trauma to you? What would you say to me? probably say an extremely negative event or occurrence or experience mm -hmm. yeah yeah and exactly and that usually occurs to someone and you just have to break it down a bit more some negative um yeah just a, a negative experience or emotions or experience is better that can be either physical psychological sexual you know those are the main big ones i put tell people you know mm -hmm. so physical is there lots of extensive beating in the house or even um trauma by what's the word i was going to use by exposure so if your parents are very physically abusive mm. that's traumatic 
So you might not be being beaten up, but if your parents are always fighting and your father lays hands on your mom when she gets to whatever, whatever the, the topic would be, or mom throws plates at dad, whatever it would be, that stuff is traumatic, you know? And there's physical way that, that's, that's more psychological. That's like vicarious, so vicarious trauma, I was going to say. And then there's also the, the physical where the beatings are happening. So where you're going to strict high schools, where your parents, like, you know, they get say, pick your stick. You know, that's that trick where it's like, you yeah. <laughs> so you have to go pick your own, you know, psychological warfare in that. It's both physical and psychological abuse in a sense. And sometimes it happens without reason. Because kids, if you're going to lay hands on a kid, not you should, but if you're going to discipline a kid, rather, I should just say, if you're going to discipline a kid, give them a reason as to why. There should be some stepwise process, not that I'm angry with you and I'm being short fused. That's not going to cut it. It's like you're disciplining them because they did something wrong with the rules of the house or whatever. There has to be reason. Always make sure you have a reason that's justifying this disciplinary action. Okay. Um, and then there's also the emotional abuse, which is like very critical parenting. Because some people, they, you have to walk them through. When I tell people, have you had psychological abuse? They're like, nah, especially men. Men, it's always like, nah, I'm good. My family, like, oh, my dad was a bit of hard ass, but you know, he's good. And then like, I always keep quiet. You have to sit with them. It's like, yeah, but you know, the way he used to beat me, man, but he used to be my brother, man. And it's like, beat us till like the stick broke, man. Like, you know, <laughs> they even joke about it, but it's sad. If you leave them some string, like for me, I just keep quiet. I'm just like, let them talk it out without judgment. And they're like, actually, you know, man, I never even touch my kids now because the way my dad beat me, I can't even touch. I can't, as, as, and he says he's a bad parent because they're not disciplining his kids. He just doesn't want to be the bad guy. So he buys them sweets. His wife does the disciplining. It's funny, there's a very common, you see that with a lot of guys who don't beat their kids. Not often, but some of them, you ask them, why don't you hit your kid? Or maybe so hitting is just this day and age, you shouldn't say that, but why don't you discipline your kid? So it's a wife who seems to come in and be bad cop. The guy's like, hey, listen, me and my house, my dad, the way he did it, I can't even phantom give that to my kids, man. And then so it's, it's, it's okay, but it's not, it's just, you means that you create poor boundaries for your kids. Your kids also need boundaries. They need you sure, to also yeah. be there with your, you, mom, mom cannot always be bad cop and you come with the chocolate and you're the nice guy. No, 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 no. You both parents should be playing bad cop, good cop interchangeably. You should be on the same page. If mom is bad cop, you're also bad cop. The kid's like, oh, really? So I can't get candy before bed. Okay, both of you said no. He might whinge, but he's a kid. You know better. You know candy's diabetes. You know candy's like teeth decay. You know candy will make him hyper, won't sleep. You know better. This is, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then that's, and that's just, and then people start saying, oh, that's what psychological abuse is. I'm like, yeah, yeah, fam. That's what it is. Then sexual abuse. You know, I think we talked about it last time where, a lot of young guys, I remember maybe 14, 15, saying that first sexual experience was like with some auntie or a maid or some, some chick who was above age. Yeah. I'm like, we used to give them big up. Like, I remember thinking, man, I wish I could have sex with a girl who was 21. And I'm like, is, 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 you know, kids, kids are kids. That's still sexual abuse. And for men, the way it turns out later is it's very interesting when that, that stuff, but ultimately, even saying that's abuse, they'll be like, nah, man. Because a lot of guys get defensive. And I understand where it's coming from. So I give them a space to be defensive. But then that's just trauma. That's just trauma. And those things end up driving it. Because what they build, that trauma, can build up either very poor impulse control, a lot mm. of way pent-up action. So you just like go, see that one extreme or the other. That's what those type of parenting is. If the parenting is inconsistent or it goes from like zero to 100 real quick, even you, your personality goes zero to 100 real quick at the party. You know, relationship. You go from, oh, I love this girl to like, then she shows you emotions like, ah, I got to dip out into ghosts. Why? Why do you do that? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's those small things. And then what happens is at a certain point, you get older. It's hard to explain emotional pain to people, but it's easier to consume substances. And one of my supervisors, I, I love, this guy is amazing. He's one of the best addiction psychiatrists I've ever worked with. He always tells me, Savior, why do you think people use drugs or alcohol? 
They're like, oh, trauma, parenting, role modeling. It's like, well, because it's fun. It makes them feel good. And in this, in this <laughs> shitty world, when they get older, life gets more shitty and you get more realistic. Uh, you have to pay mortgages. You have to have kids. You have to pay taxes, whatever it may be. It feels good to feel good, you know? So they'll drink. It's the, it's the easy way out. Go and talk to a therapist. It sounds very like, oh, that's the thing I should do. But talk, therapy is difficult. Ask anyone who's been to therapy. You know, it's difficult. They didn't get it. They hit on the therapist one week. The homework was boring this week. Then I didn't get the right answers. But it's if you persevere through it, you eventually get there. Um, and that's, that's just the trauma stint I've gone on. And then the other thing is the role modeling as well. What's, the, what's your history of alcohol use in your family? You know, so if someone tells me like, oh, my parents are big drinkers, so is my brother. Then it's like, oh, okay, maybe you're actually a big drinker now because it's in the family, you know. It's what was role modeled around them. And it's something that also comes in as well. Mental illness also drives a lot of addiction. So if you've got depression or anxiety, usually anxiety, I tell people, is what drives a lot of mental illness and addiction problems. It's underlying anxiety. I can't sleep. Like Black men are some of the poorest sleep in the world, man, because um, they take that stress with them to bed. You know? So the wives always say, this guy is so fidgety. <laughs> no time for pillow talk. <laughs> exactly. No time for pillow talk. And I think that's why a lot of guys would want to just go to bed either drunk or drink a bit or maybe have sex, then pass out. Because about trying to find a way to just go straight into sleep. As they say, he ain't, he ain't really asleep. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, seriously. It's like, and these things don't add up. Like, baby, you know, it's like, <laughs> and it's, <laughs> we all know how to do a fake snore. It ain't just me. <laughs> <laughs> Little deep breathing. Come on, deep breathing brothers yeah, out there. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> It's like, in fact, you have to pretend how to sleep, be pretend to be sleeping, says it all, right? More, you know? of, us, more of us need to go into acting. <laughs> oh, black men are some of the best actors. Ask black women. You know, ask any woman, actually. Any woman who's been involved with a black man, like, man, this guy, he could have won an Oscar for that performance. I thought we were going to get married. I thought we were in love. I, could, I did not know he was going to be the one to give me chlamydia and uh, a baby mother. You know, like, guys, the story, the outcomes are usually negative, but we act because we taught to have this facade. Like, you saw... Dad crypt, you know, even that saying thieves in the night, you know, even like it's just it's just something about the covert nature of darkness and mystery. Uh, this nar the narrative to black men, especially, you know, we like that sort of that's when you're bad during the day, we're good, we're Bruce Wayne at night, we're Batman or something, you know. Yeah. It's like this, it's this thing in your head. Um, oh yeah, mental illness, the last one I was going to just put on like having mental illness not treated or addressed also can also lead you into getting addiction problems. Because if you're not sleeping well, people start drinking a bit at night. Oh, I want to have a sip of whiskey. Then you need to drink more whiskey because your body gets tolerance. Body is an amazing thing, you know? So what happens is you, you need to drink more for the same effect. So now you're drinking every day. Because the, the day you don't drink, you don't have good sleep. That's why I always tell people, if you're looking after your body very well, stop drinking for like three weeks or even two weeks, even one week. Stop drinking. Then try to have one drink, one beer even. Tell me what your sleep is like that night, you know? So like I said, you try and get to bed without any alcohol or any meds or anything, if you don't need them anyway. Try again to cycle where you're sleeping well. You've got a set time where you go to bed, no smartphone, whatever, you go to bed. You eventually, you start off being restless, then eventually you calm down, your body gets used to this. Try one beer, one day, and tell me what your dream of sleep is like. After like two, three weeks, not touching anything. Tell me what your sleep's like. Now imagine magnifying that over your binge drinking episodes on the weekend. So many people's weekends aren't restful. If you're in that pattern, oh, I'm going to drink out my mates on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'll rest, we'll watch the game at home, but we'll drink a few beers, knock over the hangover. So come Monday, you're not rested. You're back at work and you're expected to be in full throttle and you're like, oh, full functioning alcoholic, but just I like, binge on the weekends like everyone does. But 
yeah, but not everyone's like getting depressive spells, you know, and now you're not sleeping at all during the week properly. You know, it's a cycle and it's a vicious cycle, but it's one we all know too well. Um, 100%. Yeah. So sorry, that, that, that sounds a bit of a segue into things, but there's so many things, no, but those no. are main ones that I think drive addictions when someone say what the causes are. Um, it's very rare someone just picks it up and just starts necking it, drinking beer, um, and then become alcoholic. I mean, the ones who do that are the ones who probably were hiding lots of things superficially over a course of time, and then they open that gas gasket, and then they can only suppress those emotions with alcohol, booze. And because they've never spoken to anyone about having issues, of course, how do you turn around and being, I was, I never have issues, now I've got issues. It's almost like a failure. It's always a failure to us people. It's been a black man, but it's always a failure. I'm like, no, it's human. You're only human. You know, yeah, you're human. You really are. And once again, you're enough. And but you, you're sure you want alcoholic, you're a good boy, you went to Catholic school, you did everything right by your parents, but something switched at uni, switched up, and now you're drinking too much, and now you've got a problem, you know? We can work on that. And even tell people that all this time you didn't drink means that you can go back to that. You know, all that time when you're managing yourself, but maybe what you're doing is what well, you had too tight of a claps on this box. You had you had it gripped in too tight. And now we have to you have to have it more loose and accept that, you know, you're vulnerable, you're a human being. So it's like, oh, but I don't tell people about this promotion I didn't get. No, you should let them know. Because you, when you take things on, you take it so much to the core that affects your self-esteem, your identity as a person, makes you feel miserable, then you're at risk of going back to drinking, you know, or whatever your drug is. Yeah. So for you, it's better you lay it out. And then getting them to feel comfortable in that. That's why Black Boy Magic was sort of uh, five Black men trying to talk about being vulnerable. And it's like, all different people. You've got a doctor there, one guy, finance guy, artists, one guy does like... Um, other guys, basketball coaching and stuff like that. But anyway, we're all doing different things. And it's funny, the joke is that many of my friends said that it was interesting to watch because it's almost like you're watching a film because you'd never see us do this in the way you guys did it, you know? Us would, would, would skim over things like, ah, hey, man, don't worry, just drink more. Or would, you know, we'd joke about it, we'd trivialize it. We didn't sit down there and say, let's get heavy today. And when we saw the documentary, it wasn't really as heavy. We joked a lot. Yeah. Also, had these things where you're like, why do we do these things, man? You know, and that is where the gems are to a point that I still talk to those guys, we're still in the same circles, you know. And it's interesting all our journeys, the way they've grown from that, and we talk about who we were two years ago when we made it to who we are now. Actually, we made it uh three years ago, but just we just due to disorganization and maybe laziness, it came out a year later, but <laughs> um it but it came it, it out came, when it was meant to. Exactly, you know, and even just being being able to sit with that because we were so beat up ourselves. We were doing the same thing we were saying we weren't doing in the documentary where it's like, oh my God, we need to release this, we need to do that, we need to, we are so in just business. It it reached a point where for the talking and vulnerability we can show, it's almost like it's a show, like we're good actors. Can we do that in real life? You know, but it's good to show people that you can actually have those conversations of visual and medium. But I think the more we see that, the more people will feel comfortable trying it. Because then people have told me, you know what? I went to my friend and talked to him about my depression. It was awkward. But the guy didn't shun me and he didn't, he didn't laugh it off. Because I always tell you, if your friend is really your friend and not just some poser or some fair weather friend, he will, might not get it. But he knows that it's important to you and it's affecting you and thereby affecting the relationship. It's in your, everyone's best interest. We try and help each other. That's a real friend. So if you've got real friends, you should be able to open up about anything. They might not understand it. Don't get me wrong. Because mental health and mental illness is not understood by many people white or black or anyone. So if someone gets it, you're lucky. If they don't, that's the norm. 
So don't feel so sensitive. A guy doesn't get depression. It's like, oh, I thought you're just being lazy that time. He's like, no, nah, man, I just couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't, you know, found like, I think even Denzel was talking, like finding showering hard, you know, just yeah. basic self-care. You know, and I'm supposed to pull out this facade that I'm looking good. I better shower on my rough, rough Loren. Ah, you know, get out there. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot. You put on a mask. You start this doing this, um, that's what, the false self and the true self, you know? So I always tell people the false self is literally to show the world and so they leave you alone. Then your true self, I mean, where the demons are, where's your perversions, what you really like, or just your real personality. And a lot of us forgot the gap between them is so big that if you learned the truth about one person, you'd be so surprised because it doesn't match out what you see externally. So the best way what you want to tell people is you want them to be so, you want them to be as close together as possible that your false self and your true self are similar, are so close that people are like, oh yeah, you're not far stretched from that persona. So me, I joke a lot, but I also tell people if I'm anxious about something, it's like, oh, I do sense that now you've got this negative and anxious energy about you today. What's up with that? Then they know that, oh, Xavier gets anxious when assessments are due or if I'm waiting, pending for a result. So everyone knows academics, stress Xavier out, you know? <laughs> so they already know like, all right, my boy, they now they have patterns, they know how to actually soothe me so I don't get so anxious. So I, if I tell them or if I don't tell them, they know, oh, Xavier, is your assessment due soon? Yeah, man, oh my gosh. Next week, man. I'm so glad you asked. I'm like, they didn't even ask that. They just asked it myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been keeping me up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> exactly. I just said hello, man. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, that that's those are the type of conversations that I think will lead to general better mental health. Because then imagine if um this is my last point before I keep talking, is that if you open up to your friend and you both don't know what's going on by saying this guy thinks he's got depression, you and your friend say, let's read up on this. You go to a GP, what's your GP say? Oh, yeah, GP thinks definitely being referring me to a psychologist. Oh, what's, what's a psychologist, man? Oh, it's this person. Then you're both learning together. And then now one, now you both know the symptoms. You sort of both know one pathway, at least anyway, the psychologist referral. So imagine we meet another person in a similar situation and say, hey, man, I had a friend who was going through the exact same thing. I don't know if this worked for you, but he went to talk to his GP. He said he was depressed. They started talking psychology. Then this person goes to see the GP. Oh my God, I can't medications. Like, oh shit, you're on, medi you're on medications already? Then you realize that there's actually a scale. Some people, they come, usually people come to us so late that medication is what they need. So some people think it's this magical thing when you come to a psychiatrist, we just pill pop, we just throw pills down your throat, you know? And I always tell people like, maybe if you look at it the other way around, that when people, by the time they come see a psychiatrist, they're so severely depressed, they need not just physical healthcare, diet, and not just psychologists, they need medications as well because they've come to me so late in the treatment course that we need as many things to throw at it, you know? So that's when I get people thinking like, oh, so people come to you when they're severely unwell. Yeah, because even you, you come to a psychologist if you're feeling a bit anxious, psychiatrist if you're a bit, if you're a bit anxious, no. So by the time you're coming to me, things have really moved along a fair bit. So a lot of us psychiatrists were used to meeting people who are not um, functioning well, um, that, that, that's that with lots of issues, complex. Yeah. They've got addiction issue, they've got a generalized anxiety disorder with a panic disorder component. They're about to get fired from work. They've, you know, it's like, it's so, but when they come to me, I have to like prioritize with them and myself, <laughs> how are we gonna make this work? Because there's so many pieces, right? Um, and then when people have appreciation of that, people will try and come earlier. So I've noticed is not so much in African communities, but maybe uh, I'll say white communities just because mental health knowledge is a bit better. I met young people come. I met this this young um so I was to identify them, but since a brother and sister combo, they came young 20s, 
and their mom, who they had a very difficult relationship with, was dying from alcohol-related problems. And they, this guy and his sister knew that, A, we're feeling really anxious, we're going to get depressed, but the mom's going to die in like a few weeks. They've been told like prognosis, mom's dying. And as a whole family, they had come together, even though they hated each other, mom's dying. So we have to try and get over this because someone's dying here, you know? Um, and then they came and they were not coping. They're still having the same fights. Man, your mom is dying from things she did herself and your relationship was really poor and you're trying to help her out, but you're fighting still. You're getting back to those old territory, negative energy, and you're trying to see this through, but someone's going to die at the end. So these kids came to me, the sister was pulling the brother and said, hey man, I think I need to get some help and direction because I already see myself slipping. I'm, I'm going out drinking too much. I'm taking a bit of cocaine. I, I see myself already going down the path. And it came to me so early, I was taken aback because I was like, wow, this guy's doing some preventive steps here. You know, he's caught himself early and he's brought his sister into this thing. Like I'd never seen this before. I've had lots of different supports, like husband, wives, boyfriend, girlfriend, even parents and son or whatever daughter, but siblings. And I thought to myself, you guys, wow, okay. We helped him out. The course corrected, even gave him some tips about which therapy to try to enter. So interpersonal therapy. So it helps you manage interpersonal conflict, you know? Okay. Because at the end of the day, when someone's dying, a lot of things come up. Everyone likes to think that's like the movies when someone's dying, the family comes together and we try and it and we try and think of the good times and make it bury the hatchet. Hey man, it's not like that. Life is a lot messier than that. You know, people who are dying can still be dicks, you know. <laughs> so you know, that's like, and then and, and people who, you know, and it also goes both ways. So the people who are not dying also be, can also be assholes. But you kind of have to get everyone on the same page. Why are we coming together then? What's the point of this? You know? Because some people do it because that's what you're meant to do. If, if someone tells me my, if I've, uh, I, lucky my parents' situation is good, but if someone tells me my mom is dying and I've had a difficult relationship with her, from a, from a cultural context, the expectation is I'm going home. Regardless of what the beef may be, it looks very bad to everyone if I don't come home, despite the fact that we argued and we never talked for the last five years, but your mom is dying, you have to come home. So there's, there's, no, there's no two ways about it. So that's already the cultural setup. I'm already screwed, you know? <laughs> and, and then like, you know, you have to ask yourself, ah, would I be happy if I don't talk to my mom before she dies? Because some people, they usually have stuff to say. It might be negative or positive, but you'd want to have a word in there while someone's there on the deathbed. Uh, maybe not the actual deathbed, but not lead up to it if you get the yeah. chance. Because some people they just be gone. A car accident, you don't get the last say. They die in a heartbeat. So when you in that process, I find when people are dying slowly, whether it's cancer or liver failure or whatever slow uh, terminal disease it is, they feel that they have to. Something has to be said. Surely we have to capture on this moment when we're given a chance to say some things before they die. And what, do, what are you supposed to say? What, how are you supposed to condense your whole house, your, your life into something to save someone who's dying? I think often we know what we have to say and what we want to say. It's probably, again, probably fear comes back or even if it's shame, you're ashamed of how they'll see it or whatever, or that uh, all these years I've built myself up a certain way. And yep. to admit this makes me vulnerable, makes me admit that as much as I've built myself up, perhaps I'm still that maybe little kid or whatever, like you, you, you still have this massive hold. But if you don't say that, and you lose that person, that's going to stay with you. And I think not just someone who the relationship might have been troubled, mm. but even the people because like, I think they say how you practice is how you play, like, yeah. Even the people you love, 
if you're not like open and telling them how you feel how much you appreciate them what what you see for your future together or the things yeah. you want to do with them you know if you're not doing that that closes off so it's not just that you won't say it to these people who you have a more troubled relationship with yeah. you won't say it even to the people who you love and appreciate having in your life because you're weakening that muscle it won't make yeah. sense to you to say it to one and not to the other and yeah. it's a fantastic outcome that those siblings were in a place where both were receptive to yeah seeking help as well because sometimes you want to give people help you want to do what you can and they might not be receptive to i think you said interpersonal uh oh, a conflict just conflict. interpersonal issues so just like yeah, the way the to address, people, yeah, yeah to addressing that and that would it's a source of frustration and we all know family siblings we, we all know like enough <laughs> said <laughs> we know everyone that's what no should be like to like family no one listening be like say no more that's <laughs> like <laughs> and i think what i've really enjoyed with this last cool good couple minutes like since we transitioned yeah. into more of the addiction side and everything is I believe the underlying thread is ownership which you mentioned mm. before I think and you have to take ownership of where you are of what's actually going on what your situation is most of the addictions we see when we spoke even things of like alcohol it's because mm. of the society we're in if you live in a yeah. village and there's stuff that's brewed chances are that kids will have it you go to certain yeah. countries in europe or in america or latin america mm. it's normal like it's normalized yeah. because there is a healthy relationship with things like alcohol or whatever else like we might deem as a substance that shouldn't be abused quote unquote abuse yeah but because there is a dysfunctional relationship to it say in the uk then mm. alcohol is perceived as something else sugar yeah. there's is it dr robert lustig like he's fantastic video okay. on youtube lovely book i think it's called fat chance or something like okay. the whole thing that. about sugar being just awful for you basically right but he gives you well, sugar, a lot of evidence good, and it is one of the greatest addictions that all of us mm -hmm. have but it is one that is openly touted and people have it and we don't there's no questioning of it and no. yes it's very lucrative it's in most things it's in most of your food it's in cereal <laughs> if you're not having like plain oats or something <laughs> there's yeah. sugar in there but most of your food sources it's everywhere all the drinks yeah. fizzy drinks or whatever you like it's everywhere everywhere man because the key to certain addictions is if you can't walk away from it it's an addiction and we want to address the bigger ones which of course they cause harm they cause all sorts of issues but there's other ones because hopefully we'll reach a point where it's not a mental health uh crisis or pandemic like it's just a mental health state like we just talk about these things there was an obesity crisis or you know mm -hmm. pandemic as it were different term at the time but then things like sugar and what kind of foods we're eating the kinds of fats that are in food became mm -hmm. A talk, talking point 
Yes. Overall, we have to take ownership of what we're doing. It might be our genetics. It might be our environment. But the common denominator and the one thing we can control is it's us. It might mm. not be as simple as I'll get it done in a month or in oh, a yeah. year and I'll be good. It might take you two years, 10 years. It might just be a lifetime thing. Yes. Like someone can quit drinking alcohol every day. They have to make that choice every yes. day. They have to stop themselves and every day they have to resist and rely on whatever structure and systems they've put in place every day until the day that they're not here anymore. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be in a bad way. It doesn't mean they wake up mm -hmm. and they're so sad and it's eating at them because ideally they'll have changed life in a way that they are now living a happy, full and fulfilling life. So yeah. every day it's easier and easier to not turn back to the addictions and yeah. to love yourself where you are. We often say that about other people. We want to love oh, yeah. people where they are. That's the best way. Don't yes. love me when I achieve this because see me when I achieve it, then start talking to me about love because yes. that means you're not loving me now. You're crushing me. You're telling me I'm not good now. And it's important to do that for yourself as well. It is not easy. I'm working yes. through that hundred percent. A lot of what you were saying, preaching to the choir, <laughs> I know, I know. so much, man. There's a, <laughs> there is a lot there that I'm literally still processing, even down to emotion and yeah. even achievement from when we were talking about high school and all these things. And yeah. there's a lot I resonate with. And I find these, that's why these conversations for me are extremely powerful. It's because I'm in process. I'm, I'm in the vehicle. Yes. I'm on the move and yes, I'm, I'm in pit stop area. I'm in MOT and mm. service area yes. and <laughs> coming to the appreciation that particularly for me in 2020, yeah, it sounds ridiculous that it took getting into my 30s to fully appreciate this, but to appreciate that no matter what I'm doing, even if I lost all my money, all my job, uh, jobs or work or anything like that, if I was destitute, yeah, there are people who even in what I would then categorize as my lowest, my most useless point would still love me, accept me and say, come on over. Yes. Put my shame aside or however I feel. There are people who would still at that point say, Shamenda, love you, come over here. Don't just sit on the couch all day. Like, come yeah, on, yeah, let's yeah, take yeah, some yeah. steps. Like, let's not get that wrong. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it was a eureka moment, a revelation. Yeah. But I think a lot of us might need to get to that point as well. And a lot mm. of it just comes from if you're not that happy, if you are feeling anxious, you have to take ownership. You have to try and address what it is and be open to seeking advice from, yeah, friends, family, but professionals as well. Just yeah. see, you don't have to commit to it. Like no one starts to follow you around and say, you've not come back, you know. Like, exactly. <laughs> but I, I promise you. Just like one of the best things for me about having this conversation with you right now is yeah. it puts a human face to a profession, you know, the oh, person yes. behind the profession. And 
you're a guy you've been through life you're going through life you have your oh, yes. yeah your foibles like you're a human 100%. being and so someone listening to this should just know that they're listening to a human being and when you go in to see a psychiatrist a psychotherapist psychoanalyst whoever it is you know a counselor you're talking to a human being and yes you are you're just talking. We love to talk. Come on now. You you love to say, if you're listening to this, it's because you love to talk and you need a break. I always feel like I feel like hey man, I haven't finished my story. Listen, we need to truncate that story because you only really have an hour this session, you know, because it's it's still a, it's still obviously a session, you know. Because that's yeah. And that was the greatest advice advice you gave as well. Like, yes, there are certain restrictions because there are not unlimited resources. No. So you might get a five week, a 10 week thing, unless you go private and hey, you best get your bank mm. ready. But if yep. even, even though you might just get those in chunks, that point you made about keeping your GP in the loop and yes. asking about all the other, there are many therapies and it might depend oh. on what you need. They will refer you to loads of different things. And this might be an ongoing continuous thing. That's extremely yes. new, even for me, like, still difficult to kind of just like phone up oh. the GP and just update them. Like that's, it's still weird. Like, you know, I, yeah. I didn't grow up doing that. I didn't grow up seeing no. it, hearing it. And so even now I'm like, what am I going to call them for? And this might yeah. be a thing to watch out for when you are doing well and you might start to feel like you don't need those things anymore. That's mm. probably when you're most vulnerable because you might lean into them. Oh yes, could I just add it just in that one point? Of like course. that's the time when people are at risk going relapse. They say things are going well. It's like, oh, I stopped taking my meds. I don't need that. Oh, I don't need to see a psychologist as much. Uh, and, like, and then if you haven't learned the foundations, like I always tell people, you don't need to see a psychologist forever. Because some people get, oh, I'm tied to you. You want to make me? What they say to me? You make me dependent on you. You're making us addicted to come see you guys. I'm like, <laughs> it's an interesting concept. But I'm like, um, it's better you come pay for this than your alcohol, I suppose. But Ultimately, it's it's sort of like we're making you go to a point where if you end up getting those resources and can use them, sure, you can space it out because then you know how to avoid relapsing. But the ones who go and think everything's going well and like, ah, don't you see the GP every month? Like, come on, man, I've been good for the last six months. You know, then they cut it completely. If you say you're spacing it out, better. Because, you know, at mental health and those things, they come back. You know, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's like I always tell people, if you've got high blood pressure or diabetes, it's the same thing if you've got diabetes and need insulin. You're not going back to a time where you don't eat insulin. Yeah, insulin until you die. Literally, that's it. If you don't get insulin, you die. You, you know, that's there's no qualms, no exercise routine, blah, blah, blah. My brother, if you've got insulin-dependent diabetes, you're going to need insulin. Simple fact of life, you know? Whatever the drama comes with it. So you find people in the very beginning of that journey, they need lots of education. They got to check the blood sugars, which insulin, the dosing. And then they find it so stressful. But then after a while, they learn that, oh, I have to watch my dads for this. I respond very differently to sugars than other people. I know which insulin works for me, what time. I know how to take it. I know when I get sick, I might need more insulin because of my body's breaking down more. You know, they learn it because they've learned it. But in the beginning, just because you've gone through one crisis, that mean you're done. Uh, so sorry, that was just my uh, chipping in. Perfect. Like, Perfect. the part when people are very vulnerable and, and they're doing well. And the physical or physical trauma or crisis is very different to an emotional, to a sexual, to whatever mm. other kind. Treat each one individually and... 
we could keep going. I will transition oh us into the final quick fire questions, sir. Oh, let's go. <laughs> I know quick fire questions. Okay. I've got the hint, Doc. I, I got the hint. <laughs> Are you smart? Yeah, yeah. No, that's all. I, 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 I'm picking up what you're dropping, man. <laughs> all right. So here we go. Here we go. Um, first, what's the best thing about being Black? Thank you for listening to Men Talk Ubuntu podcast and being a valued member of our community. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube, Instagram, and other social media now for access to our latest updates. DM us and let us know what your mental health is on a scale of one to five. Thank you. Ooh, the best thing, I think uh, the rich culture and history, you know, and resilience we have. I, I don't know, I'm, I'm cheating by mentioning those, but I think the culture, and, you know, it comes with everything, how we speak, the stories we tell, the way we dance, the foods we eat. It's so rich. You can't, you can't even dilute it, but it mixes so well with so many other cultures. Like people even, they hijack it, culture, vulture, whatever. But part of me is like an appreciation that they see the good that comes from it. And we can mix it up. We can throw this music into South America, drums in this, you know, I'm a piano music. You know, it's, you know, it's like it's, or it's, it's at our core, it's who we are as Black people. You know, so for me, it's the culture. Definitely the culture is amazing. So a quick fire, keep it short. No, I, I feel you, because the history is what informs the culture. So those two go hand in hand, in my opinion. Yes, they will. Iggy Azalea. I'll say nothing less. Culture, no. <laughs> positive vibes, it's positive vibes. Yeah, positive, we're going positive. There's enough negative out there, man. <laughs> and I, I see you looking just too smooth and now too suave. I don't know if this is the remnants from what happened back. Now, that makes me only want to ask, who taught yeah. you how to shave? Who taught me how to shave? Ooh, was a girlfriend, man. Actually, the same one who broke my heart, man. Because I used to, because I never used to shave. I only got hairs in, in uni, man. I was like too smooth all the time. I, I, can't, I just grow whiskers. I can't even draw a mustache, man. But, uh... I think it was like, um, actually, it was a girlfriend for my, my girlfriend at the time. This is a Zimbabwean girl I met. She was like, listen, man, I need to get you because cutting up a bit funny and I, the razors I was using, was like, hey, let's get you props. Uh, so Zimbabwean girl, I, I won't say her name. She's a doctor in Melbourne now. You know, we still keep in touch. I hope she's well, actually. I need to check up with her. Right? She knew me at my lowest low. Uh, but yeah, now it's like you just do all this grooming on your own. You're like, oh, which razor works for you? After she, now it's just man sleeping, man. So I don't have answered your question. Yes, you told me how to shave. It was a girl, actually. Yeah. I wish it had been my dad or something. You know, sometimes you think, I wish it had like that father-son bonding moment. But instead, it was like some girls, I think I was trying to get in a relationship with, but it didn't pan out. She became a friend and said, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, c'est la vie. Be, man. Some people in your life, as they say, for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, but maybe in different mm. guises, different guises. So yeah. it might not be as yes. a girlfriend, but hey, yeah, but definitely girl. helped her brother out. You know, she actually got me the girlfriend. She actually directed me to this person. Like, <laughs> she's, more, she's more your speed, and she was actually quite accurate. Looking back, I'm like, why do I think we could date? Because sometimes men think you can date everyone, but you can't. <laughs> you can't date everyone. You've Thanks. got a type, and you, should, you know. Don't think just because you're suave or whatever means you can date everyone. You really, you can probably have sex with lots of people, but it doesn't mean you can date everyone or have a healthy relationship, I should say. Maybe that should be the goal, a healthy relationship with a female. 
if that's the thing, you know, or with another partner, I suppose. Uh, oh man, that's gonna. I, I need you back for that one. I need. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, no, we might have to charge for that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness, we would talk forever, man. These things. Let's let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. <laughs> Zambians in the same room. Oh Keep moving, bro. Keep moving. All right. What book or resource do you hope people still use or refer to a hundred years from now? Ooh. Wow. For fiction, for for fiction. Let me just go with fiction. I always go with like um, that uh, Chinua Achebe book. Things fall apart. You know, it's funny because the older you get, the more gems I see in that book. The man was ahead of his time. I, I guess I got to black author as well, just because keeping with the theme. He was talking about how when you own hubris on your own, you never make it, you know? You really need to be caring to other people and the way you treat other people in a, in a way of karma, in a way, depend how your life might end, you know? If you send a lot of hate and negativity out there, it'll come find you. It really does. I'm a very big believer of karma and stuff like that. You can say quasi-science, whatever you want to call it, but what you give out will come back to you a hundred times fold. You know, so if you, and that's uh, something as well, because even the guy in that book, he died, he killed himself actually, suicide. So I don't know if it's just going to point thing. It's got a theme of that, no man's an island, you know, mm. and it talks about black people and very black stories. You know, the way we take on conflict with lots of aggression, you know, and the way we treat each other in relationships sometimes, not healthy. And the healthier ones, the ones that thrive, but if you don't know what a healthy relationship looks like, how can you replicate that? Um, so that's, that's a good one. In terms of resource, man, you got me, man. I have to think. Let me just go with that one as my, my takeover because I, I find so many gems every time I read that. I read every like two, three years. And I'm like, this guy, do, do you know my life? Like, did he, was he talking to my life? It's about this guy from a village. When you reach, when the surface, it just seems like this guy in a village who ultimately is a big wrestler and is a big shot and falls down due to his own arrogance. But ultimately, it's a story of life for many Black men, I suppose. Um, or just one story of life, not, not, not a common story. It's a common story, I guess, but yeah, let me go with that. Hmm, resource, that's a good one. I'm gonna have to remember that for next time. Glad. And finally, what do you wish more men talked about? Mm, our feelings and shortcomings, you know? Like how you actually feel, like you asked me, how are you feeling today? Today, you got me in a good wicket, man. You know, that one likes good day, eight out of 10. It's not a perfect 10. Like I said, there's some stresses happening out there, but it's like just talking honestly about our feelings, just your emotional state. You know, if someone asks you, how are you going? If you're happy, all well and good. If you're not happy, tell people, you know? And that's what I'm just our emotions and also our shortcomings. I guess shortcomings is a big one because I think when we're doing well, We've got a very, we're very used to amplifying that. We're very happy to tell people, am I doing well? I've got a project. Oh, I'm on Mental Talk UK podcast today. Mom, I can't talk to you. I'm going to big things, big things, man. You know, but then really, I should be able to tell you that actually I've had a stressful week or me and my girlfriend are having issues or I feel like I feel insecure in relationship with my parents. Can you imagine if we started talking like that? You know, because all the positives we talk about them, that's okay. We can boast about positives all day long, but. You know, just talking openly about our emotions, that's be something, sharing vulnerability. Oh, that's something I'd love to see us do more of. And it's already happening. We're doing it right now. People hear this, they'll spread out there. They, they, they try it. I see people try with their friends and they come back to me. It's like, man, that didn't go so well. This person was like, hey, man, it's just, you start, at least you go it out. And then when they ask them, how do you feel about it? You know, actually, the person may have not had the response I wanted, 
but I got off my chest, man. And I told someone in the open, not just hiding myself in bed and just in my nightmares and sleep, you know? And that in itself has got such a healing effect and never underestimate the power of community and a joint community, a healthy community. Because we like saying we're healthy communities or we help each other, but sometimes when push comes to shove, we also let each other down, you know? You know, so that's something to think about. Yeah, vulnerability, yeah, emotions and shortcomings. You can talk more about that. Perfect. I mean, I feel like anyone listening to the conversation, we spoke about normalizing discussions about mental health, but I think it's more than normalizing, it's encouraging people to have deeper conversations, mm. feel comfortable sharing when we are not so okay and learn that you can only have a better time when you have a deeper conversation. You, you will not believe the difference it makes. And that's why even you might perceive going to see a mental health specialist has something quite daunting, very, very serious. Like there'll be no laughter and no jokes or nothing. Like, but you'll be amazed perhaps in the first one or two, and it depends what you're going for, of course. Yes. But trust that eventually or during that time, you will be interacting with a human being and you will cover all things, emotions, laughter. It's just a really great conversation. And that changes the way you have conversations with other people because you appreciate how it makes you feel. You yes. want other people to feel better and well. Most of us do. And if, if you don't, I guess you're part of the problem. But, but I know if you're listening, you're not that kind of person. And you will have people you care about. And I'm extremely humbled and I think privileged to have had you on with us today, Xavier. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure of mine, man. Thank you for having me. This is beyond, I mean, of course, love to have more conversations and it's always about what we do going forward. It's not just about having one conversation. It's oh, yeah. building the bond as brothers and being part of each other's communities Yes. And of course, seeing each other win, which is fantastic. Yes. And I think Muhammad Ali in the book, Soul of the Soul of a Butterfly, I think. And he points out that we spend a lot of time learning how to make a living, but not learning how to make a life. Oh, yeah. I think some of the things that you shared today are going to help people learn how to make a life or a life that they actually will find fulfilling. And there's some very important questions you've shared for people to ask. I'd encourage mm -hmm. them to check. If people did want to perhaps see what else you're up to, um, just follow you and get some of this sunshine you're pouring out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I need to get myself some proper socials. I'm not even proper on social. I just have my own private Instagram, but I've let it be just private. Every time I open it up, I just get people in my DMs, like obviously mental health crises. So it's not like my, my Instagram became very serious for a hot minute. So I had to put some firm boundaries, but I have nothing yet. But in the next month or two, the trust is something where, where the few things I have to get together is source. Because ultimately my big dream, really, if I'm honest with you, is make a website uh, which shows, shows different mental health resources and ideas that are catered towards black audiences or Africa or just anyone really could use it, but shows more of our stories. And even we're gonna have short stories and clips like what does depression look like in a young female? What does depression look like in your auntie? You know, because these things for Africans as well, we present some symptoms very similar, but other things we do differently, these depressions. And it 
takes one to know one. So I guess I can, I'm highly tuned when someone comes to me and says, oh, there's having headaches. You know, my heart's just palpitations. I think it's just, I think I've got a heart problem. I'm like, sounds like a good high anxiety. But you know, it's, it's how you get to that, you know? And ultimately it'd be a resource that I can actually tell people, just go to this, show your friends, sort of like Black Boy Magic. Just go watch these videos and then show them what does it look like going to a doctor versus what's the first session with the psychologist look like? And why do we ask these questions we do? And why when we're asking you about suicidality, we're not trying to suss out if you're that bad or not, or you know, are you gonna tell the police on me or whatever? Because people get sectioned for that sometimes, you know? So people get very scared saying how unwell they are. Even though they're literally in the psychologist's room, they feel scared to say how unwell they are. Can you imagine the contradiction in that thought? So just normalizing it for black people and seeing more black faces, even like with Naomi Osaka, she's talking about mental health, seeing black people who are working on those high levels, making that mad cheese, saying, hey, listen, I suffer from depression, anxiety, and some days I can't do it, give a press conference because it's not, you know, it's not in my best interest mentally. Can you imagine what profound effect that has for us? We're saying like, you know, if she's able to tell the whole world this, you and I, let's talk about it more. Let's go to the pub, but no, not the pub, maybe we just go have tea, you know, because we're like getting alcohol involved in lots of things, but I'm like, let's go mano a mano and have a, go on a hike. Because hiking, you can't be out there just drinking. Hiking, you have to be like, let's get some water. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can drink if you want, but I mean, like, it's, it's better if you're walking on those hikes. Yeah. You're swaying out your brother, you see your friends lagging behind, you sort of, you have to stick with each other because you're only as strong as your weakest link. I really believe that. It's not like you have to cut off um, these weak links and like, make sure everyone in this tribe is like, um, what's that movie? 300. Because a lot of my friends like using that Spartan mentality. Mm. And don't get me wrong, every mentality ideology is got a place, but when you're using that in space of mental health, it's very dangerous. What you're saying is that only the best or the strongest survive and the rest, we literally kick them down a pit or we, we cut them off. You know, what's our messaging always sending to other people when it's our turn to suffer? When you're going through that mental health crisis, do you want to be cut off by your, your fellow Spartans? You know, but that's what's going to happen if you're going to use a spot of mentality that one day it's going to be you because you're not 100% every day. You're going to have a crisis and it's probably going to get you sooner than later if you're ignoring it. So that's something I always tell people like, uh, what's the joke I said the first time? Like one in, so one in four people who have a mental health crisis or mental health issue every year. So if all three of your friends are good, it's you. Damn. So it's something to think about. So if you're always in denial, like I'm good, I'm good, I'm always good. Those are the guys who, Surprise us by oh that guy actually's a coca on cocaine that guy's got an alcohol problem that guy's got three different girls and two baby mamas he got another girl pregnant or oh, he's spreading chlamydia down and up and down Sussex you know whatever it is you know it's 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 um it'll get you eventually so yeah yeah I'll stop that I'll talk forever uh, you yeah, know yeah no, we point out hurt people hurt people and I love also the thing with Sparta because. Yes, they were a warring community. Absolutely. For me, the ethos they had, the egalitarianism, everyone's standard, everyone eats the same. However, especially in the world that we live in now, and this is where also your community plays a role. There's a reason Sparta isn't here today. Exactly. That's because although they could dominate, as soon as an injection of other, the some of the, I think it was, was it Athens? Anyway, when they started, when some of the people that they dominated started to infest, shall we say, because they ended up not being here, right? So we use the word yeah. infest, their culture, their way of doing things. That ended their, because 
it's like you're used to being disciplined regimented boom like we spoke about and now people bring in alcohol and they're like chill and oh you used to being disciplined regimented all this mom and dad are at home don't let me down now you're at university alone you are high as a kite (laughs) (laughs) so that's why sparta isn't here anymore because they could fight the war out there but they could not fight the wars of comfort like comfort is a terrible terrible oppressor in a way because Mm -hmm. if you get comfortable in your addictions they will end up destroying probably your life and your relationships it's okay sometimes to have bits of them and all this if you are working towards addressing them but don't get comfortable in them or at least not for too long yeah exactly you know and at least and then Find out ways where you can get help. There's so much help out there. I always tell people it might seem like it's limited and it's hard to access, but it's there. You know, it's, it's better than what it was before. It wasn't there. It's actually there. And the services are expanding. Even our understanding of, um, we have this thing, transcultural mental health now, where people realize, Australia's got so many immigrants, they realize, hey, we got to figure out what the Lebanese, Indians, the Zambians, they're coming. So when I, I've got colleagues who call me up and say, Xavier, I saw a Nigerian patient. I need, I, I don't know anything about how much this is playing into their presentation. Because I said, oh yeah, you have to ask a couple of things. Culturally, how, what does that mean for her? Does she identify a Nigerian or Australian? What level of racism she experiences? That's something we overlook sometimes in mental health assessments, how racism plays a role. But me as a minority, it comes naturally to ask another minority if they come to my office, how they might be being affected, maybe microaggressions at work or macro, or how their whole family, you know, it's like you get treated well because you're thriving, but when you see your family, it's like, oh, those are your peeps. You know, you know, there's so many questions to ask. And I always tell them that their connections to the community is key. So if you meet an African who's not connected to their community and they're isolated, that in itself is an extra bit of information. If I tell you, if I come to Manchester and I say, oh, Shemenda, oh, he's part of the, the Zambian Mani group or whatever group there's up there. Yeah, they say, no, this guy's connected to something. If I come there and he's like, ah, listen, I don't know many people here. I just sort of do my own thing. Then I say, okay, fair enough. I guess that's one thing, but you're, you're a solo artist. That's also... A piece of information that also I have to keep in mind, um, you know. And that's it's interesting because people think like we're trying to steal this information. We're using this information to help you. <laughs> that's what I think. I always think with mental health is funny. Everyone thinks you're just prying for the sake of prying. <laughs> if you're like, yeah, it's it's funny. I, I just remember one guy I met is um, it's a gay black guy. But we came in my office. He, to me, just was definitely gay. I remember asking him like, oh, by the way, um, do you have a partner? He said. Um, uh, yes. Then I said, oh, male, female, do you identify? And he's like, oh, who, who are you going to tell? Who are you going to tell? You know? And I remember it was such a crazy thing where I thought to myself, I'm not going to tell anyone. I just want to help you if that's going to factor in. And being gay was actually affecting certain parts of his mental health. You know, how do you come out to gay in a black community? How am I supposed to get respect and blah, blah, blah at work? Am I doing this? And it's, it's funny because people think you're actually playing Sherlock Holmes to discredit them, which is interesting but then obviously i always just tell people i know you're scared and the community especially back at home in zambia it used to be the case where doctors would call up your family your father and say hey your son's out here tripping you know like because they knew each other in the community confidentiality was not something that everyone respected you know so when it comes to australia i've had many african patients tell me that who are you going to tell are you going to tell people you're in our community i'm like no i'm bound by doctor patient confidentiality but because it's been broken in that past they don't trust me now so you have to really work towards building trust but Anyway, that's what I was just going to say on that comment. So I saw Ray for a minute. I was going to say hi, then I didn't know if he's... <laughs> yeah, he popped in. I think he might have lost signal again now. 
I think he'll be back probably to say hi. Uh, but ooh, mine <laughs> just uh, gems and gold and just everything. Just kept finding everything. Yeah, no, no, we should definitely talk again, break it down. Like, there's so many things we need to be talking about. Like, this is so good introductory stuff, and I love the introductory conversations. Then I'm like, all right, let's this. You want pragmatic stuff? Let's talk about first session of therapy. Why? What are the different types of therapy? Why can therapy help you, Mr. Black man who's never been to therapy? You know, and why have your friends said it failed them and doesn't work? You know, let's discuss. Let's get in that nitty gritty. I'm always happy because I've seen all the different journeys of people. And most of my patients actually do better. Everyone thinks my, most of my patients fail. I said, most of my patients actually end up doing better. The outcomes are good if you engage in the treatment and the programs. But getting them through that door is the hardest bit in itself. But once you get through the door, trust is a team that's going to try and help you, if, if you're motivated anyway, to get you through. So that's something to tell people that most people actually get better when they seek treatment. It's not like we have a, a stats book where it's like, oh, only 10% made it. The rest is suicide. You know, it's like, it's not like that. It's actually less dark than that because i think often they've reached that point because like you said they want to get better they want to make a change and they have now come to find the tools to make the change and that's that's all that you're doing it's like i know what i want to do i know where i want to be i'm not quite sure how to get there you know yes. so help me and i love that final thing as well about uh, getting there is the toughest thing. Just like with the gym, mm. the hardest part of any workout is getting to the gym or getting your shoes on and going running, whatever it is. You know that the hardest part is starting it because 100%. once you start it, you're good. Right. I think raising, but all out for me, I just want to say uh, a massive, massive thank you for being so generous with your time and for helping us with, I suppose, our mission, our aim, which is yes. to promote positive perceptions of black men and mental health, which you have 100%. done in spades abundantly and beautifully. Thank you. It's, I just look forward to more conversations. <laughs> oh, trust me, there's definitely more. And I open up the box. I said, open up the Pandora's box. We need to open it. Go lay it all out. You gotta lay it all out, man. Everyone's like, no, 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 we need to keep it in. I'm like, no, 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 I've done that for too long bring it all out you know i love the way you um I've, I've just been here just sitting here in awe and just listening to you know even even the the segments of where you talk about mental health and all the other health yeah. and culture racial all those things that are related to it and it just you know it keeps playing a certain thing that you know mental health is not just a destination but it's all about a process and it's yes. about how how you basically drive and not where you're going but you know the the, the key thing that keeps beating don't, and it's a, it's a beat that's getting louder and louder for all of us as black men black people and you know just people as, in general that is so so important as long as you've got a mind there's mental health and you know it's it's, it's a journey and the fact that we're open up this Pandora's box and we are so privileged to have you, um, oh, you. Give, give us so much insight and understanding and it's just it's, it's it's rich it's something that you know we the conversations we don't have every day even as you yeah. suggested you know just having a conversation going for tea going for hikes no alcohol involved because one thing yeah. I I really realized especially with you know a lot of my friends and things like that as much as 
I would call them friends. The, the only time we would find ourselves in, in, in the space together would only be when we're going out, we're partying, alcohol influence and things like that. And then yeah. I was like, hold on a minute. You know, we don't really, when things are bad or things, or th things are going on, you know, with each other, it's like, we never really speak about it. All we do is just party together and there's no balance. And then no. that's when I started to say that I, this can't happen anymore. And this is where yes. we all start to begin to create that shift and that change of that, you know, unlearning, relearning of and normalizing mental health as a, you know, society, community and culture as well. Yes, 100%. Man, I, you say it so perfectly, man. So it's good to see you, Ray, man. We missed you for the bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I am like, gutted. <laughs> I tell you that. I'm yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm sure we'll have another chat. I'm, I'm, if as long as you're happy to have me back, I'm happy to always talk, you know. But also, like what you're saying, like just demystifying it and just bring it out and doing and making sure we're actually leading with intention because it is difficult for us to be vulnerable because black men, especially, no one taught us how to do that. We, we got told to shut down emotions. You're a kid and you express them. Then you reach a certain age crying. Men don't cry. My dad used to always like panic so much when I used to cry. You know, I, I remember looking at him. I've never seen a man so panicked ever. You know, it's like, it's like don't cry, don't cry. Men don't cry. He's had his handkerchief out. My dad brings out these like, yeah, these embossed handkerchiefs. Like, I said, take, take my hanky. Don't cry, don't, come on, get yourself together. You know, it's like, I'm like, I remember saying to myself, yeah, I have to get my shit together. I can't be I'm embarrassing my dad. It wasn't even about my emotions. I'm just embarrassing and laying the family down. So I better shut it down real quick. And then the problem is that society as well, we, we reward that nonsense. The stoic man, the stoic black man, the black man who doesn't seem to share problems and is walking carefree through life. I'm like, that's just, just mysticism in our heads, really, people. Everyone's good. Like I said, if you have a brain, you've got mental health. And even when um, Shai asked me, my the first question was, was share your mental health story. Man, I could have started off, we're going to start doing the Iliad in here. We're going to do like odysseys and chapters, but I had to keep it short. <laughs> because everyone has one. So when someone tells me, oh, I don't have a mental story, I always call it, you know, BS on it in a way. But in, I, like the training, I guess, has taught me how to be able to watch egos and you just can't talk the way we normally are taught to talk, like very blunt. We're so mm. sensitive. And black men, we're, we're more sensitive than we come across. Black women will tell you this. They know that. They just keep our business private. Otherwise, if black women had write a, a thing, they'll be like, we're some of the most sensitive people. Our egos need so much stroking for things that are there to even help us. Mm. You're a big drinker. Your wife or partner addresses her. says, hey, honey, do you think maybe you drink too much? Ah, I say, I'm alcoholic. Maybe you are, brother. Maybe you actually are. <laughs> you know what I mean? And this is someone who loves you, who's just trying to ask you in a very polite, nice way if you have a problem. And we get defensive. So I don't know. It's, it's something where it's a muscle we have to learn, teach each other. And I think our generation is good because in my dad, I think whenever I talk to him on mental health, he's always like, he's got so much better with it you know it's because we i forced those conversations and i felt sorry from the first time i started forcing different conversations with him because my dad was always like how are you doing you passed your exam go black panther good yes dad how are you going business is good you got another contract okay yes amazing love you bye and those are our conversations for many years like that's many black parents conversation with their dads you know but then one day i said hey dad how's your health man how are you going he's like oh he finds so awkward because i wasn't talking about business one talking about thriving or success, I was asking him, like, how are you doing, man? You know, I heard you were sick. You had a pneumonia or something. Are you, are you okay? It's like, oh, yeah, I bounced back, Sonny. I, you know, God and faith. I said, yeah, but yeah, but tell me, I, I was scared for you. You start sharing these emotions with my dad. 
found so difficult. But over time, because his son's a psychiatrist now, I feel sorry for him, man. He's like, he had to learn the language of talking about emotions. Can you imagine your child is like the thing that you, you don't talk about? And then he's like, oh my God, my son's calling. Better talk, get, get my script together. Because even now, we don't even discuss business anymore. He asked me like, how are your relationships going? How you, how's your brother and sister? But how are you? He actually asked me, how am I? So he now reflects those questions back at me. And I know he's invested, but it took him so long to cross over. And then sometimes when he really struggles, when, when something, I felt a big assessment last year and I just was gutted. I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to finish this psychiatry training, man. Got this timeline in my mind, which is very ambitious looking back. But then I reached an academic hurdle. And the guy just, my father's not the guy I would call for emotional handholding. So was my mom. But my dad surprised me last year. He was like, hey, man. Yeah, I know how bad you take these uh, assessments. And I was like, oh, how, how do you know? You're my son. I raised you. I saw how bad you used to. You're critical on yourself in primary school, high school. The man was watching. It's funny. You know, you, sometimes you think he just wasn't saying because he didn't know how do I tell my son academics aren't the biggest thing. But at the same time, I want him to excel. But he didn't know how to tell me that, Sonny, we still love you even if you fail 100 tests, even if you don't make it to your training. What you have done is be, I could never be abroad, Sonny. You're abroad, me, I'm a Zambian through and through me. You put me in another country without my network and my tribe, we're in trouble. And you know, but then you out there, and like, he just gave me the speech, I was surprised, my father. And I'm like, did you always have this in you? I felt gypped, I was like, hey dad, where was this like? Okay, it's here now, just, you know, that's what you have to accept, it's here now. And the guy has changed so much over the last five years even. Um, and I think people always think like, oh, people change. They want to change, and I think it's there. They just don't have the tools. To use that we really don't have the tools we are emotional beings but we don't have the tools to communicate our emotions or what we really want to say that really matters can you imagine as simple as it sounds it's actually more complex it's easy to say harder to actually execute oh, I, I, I totally agree because i know even me being a father there has been a big transformation within me and that all comes to having a child um and if anything what yeah. she's done to me is what you've done to your father. She's broken that mold for me to kind of be in touch with my feelings and kind of ask those questions, you know, how are you? And, you know, it kind of links to, you know, the, the question, what is your mental health story? So all the time that is so, so powerful because it's just that um, taking into consideration that, you know, everyone has a mental health story. It's just like a book. You go in a library, yes. there's so many different books, so many different books. And it's not about judging the book by its cover. It's about sitting down and letting them, even if it's 30 minutes, just sitting down and just hearing the story, because I guarantee you every story is different. There's no story that is exactly the same, but there is also something that's aligned where you, whether it's something you've experienced or something you are experiencing or yet to experience, yeah. rest assured that you know it's that thing of the same rain falls on everyone in different places and if anything all these all these things you know they, they teach me that one you know turn your demons into art your yeah. shadow your shadow is your friend it's all yes. about fuel like it's all about your fear you need that to basically fuel you every single day your failure teaches you your weakness is the reason to keep you going and fighting. And yes. it's not about wasting your pain or, you know, recycling your heart because you're amazing as you are. And it's yes, not it's about us being harsh on each other, but 
And this is where it comes as a community. We come together to basically, you know, break down that whole, you know, Spartan mentality and say that, yes. you know, there's strength in different places other than that for us to kind of build and be everything that we're destined to be. Yes. It's amazing. Man, nothing to add to that. That's perfect. Ray came and stole the show. <laughs> Come on, guys. Man came here to drop a mic. <laughs> Boom, I'm like, man, he threw in the fatherhood. He threw in the insight. I'm like, eesh, eesh. I was just there like, eesh, I'm not even going to add to this. I dropped my man. <laughs> so, ah, uh, these are so, such rich conversations, man. Anyway, that's so lovely to hear that, man. And when you talk more about Black fathers and Black love, you know, there's some things that we just want. I don't know about you guys or your back. I can't speak of your backgrounds, but things I saw, like I always tell my parents, I mean, they're divorced now, but I'm like, you know, I never wanted your marriage. Even when I was a kid, I just never wanted it. So it's all just in cultural things, expectations. But then when you grow up, all I ever had was that example. <laughs> so, so then you realize like, I don't want that, but I do not do it either the right way. I do not raise a kid. I, you know, something <laughs> we need to give people more resources and to chat about that, you know, and just turn that, um, like the library example in the books. There's so many journeys. Hey man, you might like fiction, but you might not like like classical fiction. Maybe you want some sci-fi. Maybe, you know, it's like everyone's got something for someone. And it's, there's richness in that. I don't know what I'm trying to get to. I guess just you made me think about just, the life story from childhood, fatherhood, yourself, the stages of life, man, and just what your mental health journey would look like and the different supports you might need at various different times, man. So I don't have to come yeah, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about I'm gonna go to bed, I'm gonna be dreaming this, man. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I'm uh, right now in, in this stage of my life, I'm a firm believer that you need allies, advocates, and yes. people who have those lived experience to kind of help you not just mold it, but make sure you're living your best, true, authentic life. Um, yes. Because, you know, let's be honest, you know, mental health, you know, as much as we have it, it doesn't define you. And no. when you have all these allies and, you know, people around you to, to kind of enable you to be a better version of yourself, um, you're, you're able to walk through with conviction. So even when it's raining, you're smiling in the rain. You know that. Do you know what? I'm waterproof. I am smiling. Yes. I am going through all of it. You know, it can snow. I'll just be wearing shorts and I, like no top, but I am. hundred <laughs> percent, man. Oh, it's, yeah. It's like, sorry, I was just adding that, that, that example is the best. Like if you've got your mental health and your support circles in, in um, all locked in together, any situation where there's sunny, dark for you there's always going to be more than silver lining in and of yourself you're like i'm happy you know i'm confident i'm happy i'm living my authentic life so whatever happens okay it's raining it's going to be a rainy day but i'm still living my life i've got friends i'm catching up with or like this you know it's like it's it doesn't matter what the weather will be you are in yourself happy with who you are and your people around you and that makes you more resilient to tackle things you being more vulnerable or being linked in with your community like you know we're talking about caring and connection is the theme right for the chat being connected and caring, like honest, open, vulnerable, real connection, not that superficial, I got you fan bad text type thing, you know, and then really you can persevere and it makes you more resilient, not that whole Spartan mentality. Because people think that's what makes you resilient. And I'll dare say, it can get you through some things, don't get me wrong, it won't take you through the whole journey, man. But your people and your, yourself will, you know, so something we said about that. Yeah, yeah, even when it comes to things like, 
um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very big on the allies, advocates, you know, mentors, coaches, and things like that. Even when it comes to relationships, if you yeah, see well. that, you know, there's two people that have had a good relationship, they're much older than you, whether they're in their 60s, 70s, things like that. Or it could be the fact that, you know, they've just been living with each other for the sake of, you know, that's all they've kind of known. It's always yeah. best to have those conversations and understand why, how they obviously got to where they got to and understand yes. uh, even, even as a couple where you're, you're, you're learning from other people collectively to perfect your future history to make sure that, okay, we've seen that, that's what we don't want. So let's try and work in a different way for us to make sure that we're still connected as we yes. go on through this whole journey because everything, life is a journey, let's be honest. Yeah. Whether it's your friend, whether it's your partner or your child, it's always good to always look. And, and, and there's that book, the, the Art of War, and what it talks oh, yeah. about is it's learning from what other people have either succeeded or failed from to make sure you know you you don't do you 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 basically learn from a lot of failure if anything else. Yes. Yeah. So you know I, that's something I live. I always aim to live by. I don't always get it right, but again, it's a well, learning process. You're only human, man. Actually, doesn't mean we, we, we when you talk about that older couple thing. I, I don't know why in society, maybe not society, maybe not generalize, but we need to put up people who are actually living those lives in the forefront. It's so easy to see like toxic relationships, like anything from like of the shade room. It's like, I'm just thinking of all the things that get promoted, which I, I follow, even like the West African, whatever Instagram, you know, there's some, there's some, we, we like negative commentary and it's funny, but then the real stuff would be like married couple of 30 years, they'll, they'll tell you how they get through that. Let's say that's doing a healthy relationship. So like, oh, went for marriage counseling. There were two years when it was off, like two years. My mom and dad always used to tell me that your generation is funny because sometimes marriage, you have to take it that it's going to be you and them. If it's healthy, not if it's abusive or whatever, yeah, get out. But if it's like it's healthy marriage, even the healthiest, you have problems, you know? And then the problems will last months or years. So my parents used to fight a lot about school fees. It's a very common thing to fight about. My mom valued education very highly. My dad as well, but my mom was like, you have to send them to these really good schools. My dad's like, they're very expensive. So of course, every time the school fees came around, you can imagine what my dad was saying, what my mom was saying, and they fought about it for years, you know? But the other things, they had to keep on the same page, checking in on each other, birthdays, anniversaries. And they're saying like, you know, you guys, you have a bad time with your girlfriend for two months. You're like, ah, I got to ditch her. You might have two years of your marriage, which are bad. You, if you really want to make it work, you can't just ditch them. I mean, you can technically, you can, you can divorce, say, divorce this up. You don't have to stay if you don't want to stay. But if you were going to make it work, it's some hard work, man. <laughs> And I, I don't know about you guys, but I've been couples therapy before. Eesh. Let me tell you something. Being on the other end of the spectrum, I'm so used to patients sitting in the, in the chair. I was like so confused, man. I was there like, oh, so I sit here, right? Okay. Uh, where's You sit there, baby. Okay. We're talking. Okay. And then <laughs> you're trying to control it, but it's not even my therapy session. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm the patient, you know? It's an interesting story. I mean, talk, talk more about that. Like, how do you get through relationships? How do you manage? How do you tell your partner? What sexual frustrations or stuff about oh I don't I don't like cooking for you because I don't know how to cook well so I feel embarrassed so I guess I ask you to do more of the cooking and that's why you get pissed off and then she's like oh let's teach you how to cook you know it's like we, those are such simple things when you say them out loud but in the, when you're stuck in it they feel like the hardest things in the world man mm. yeah but anyway we need more mentors and just more people who have lived it in healthy examples we need to promote them more than just the toxic stuff I can show you all the blue therapy nonsense to the cows come home and everyone watch that and think it's funny but let's do some more positive things like you know what i mean does that make sense yeah definitely.
definitely it's and it, it's it's all it's all healing as well so it's, it's yes uh, anyway shy i tell you very very wrap up man we just keep <laughs> yeah, i realized i don't think we know how to shut it down man <laughs> Ray came and started dropping mic after mic and then I said, hey who am i to turn away gems man you just pick okay. them up you know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. I just say, man. I just, yeah, so many gems to be had, but yeah, let's let's say this, this is it. Uh, enough value for one day. If you know, you know. <laughs> you must have been making mad notes. This has just been sensational, uh, or as Chris mm. Eubank might say, stupendous. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, um. I think you said it, enriching conversations and mm. you don't want them to stop. Yeah. And if you're not having conversations like this, you could be. That's all I'll say. Yes. And thank you for listening. And I hope you got value out of this and catch us again. Hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating. Don't forget to follow, like, share, and connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Subscribe to our latest episode and listen to any you missed. And tune in next episode. Take care.